With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Makai Becton, ladies and gentlemen, human beings that large should not run as fast as Makai Becton did. And if you like people just abusing other humans, the Makai Becton tape is for you. Denzel Mims with another monster score of 70 yards. Quick pass to Crowder trying to get him out of the space. Slopes a tackle, and there he goes. Crowder, it's a foot race, and Crowder is in there. A 69-yard touchdown. Takes a shot. Here's Corey Davis, wide open. Davis. Still going, and he's in for the touchdown. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. And that's the q Oh, my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the playlikeajet.com digital studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at playlikeajet1. And it's time for the weekend mailbag, but this weekend, the very big deal, Chris Nimbley is under the weather. He just got his second shot. So we told him to rest up. He'll be back next weekend. But this weekend, got a very special guest with me. You know her from Pace's Playbook on our YouTube channel. She's done three awesome episodes. Probably know her from Twitter. And also her great work at CBS Sports because if you're watching college football and you hear a really cool stat, odds are it came from her, Kayla Pace. Kayla, thanks so much for coming on with me to answer some questions. Oh, I'm excited to change it up. Let's get this going. So let's start with somebody who writes in a lot to us. He's one of our favorites. And it's not just because he came up with the term usurper for Adam Gase, which normally, if I said that and Chris was here, he'd be giggling like a schoolgirl right now. We both love that. I still got to put that on a shirt. It's Peter J. Dillard. He says, gentlemen, last draft, I was shocked that the team took a safety in the third round. Turns out it might be good for them long term. That's always the way. You got to think long term. Don't just think about the year that you're drafting for. Do you see Joe Douglas drafting a player or a position this year that would seem to make no sense now but could make sense in a couple of years? If so, who and what? So let's start with the first part of this in terms of position that the Jets might take that they don't necessarily need right now. I think offensive tackle is one. George Fant is fine. He'll be the starter this year. Obviously, we know Mekhi Becton is going to be there barring injury for a really long time. But if they get a tackle that they really like, they could even start him at guard and then shift him to tackle down the line. Or it could be a situation where they end up shifting him in in rotation and then eventually he takes over the job full time in 2022. So I wouldn't be surprised to see that. And as far as specific players, we've talked about different tackles that could potentially play guard and then maybe eventually switch to tackle. Elijah Vera Tucker from USC would be one example. Tevin Jenkins is a really good tackle. He's another possibility. I don't think there's any way they're going to get somebody like Christian Darasaw, but if he's on the board, maybe they take him. So there are a couple of guys that you could see 
as potential tackles that the Jets could get, either as the long-term solution there or as somebody that could play guard in the short run and then play tackle in the long run. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to see them draft another player for the offensive line. I mean, depth is definitely important. And like, you know, we saw Makai got hurt a lot last year and we'd like to have more people, I think, backing him up or at least backing up all those positions so they can shift accordingly and still be strong. Um, I think if you want to look at, let's say, take the safety example again, you take Ashton Davis when you have Jamal Adams and Marcus May and it looks a little funky. All right, then Jamal leaves and now we have Ashton Davis and that looks great. So let's say, I mean, we just beefed up the defensive line. Let's say we take a defensive lineman and maybe it might not be 100% necessary. But if you look at where Salah came from with the 49ers, I mean, they had so many guys on the defensive line hurt by week two. And they still played a really great defense last year, even with the vast majority of the season, not with their starters. And so I think that that seems to be a clear strategy that he's used in the past and has worked for them. Not that the 49ers were great last year, but you definitely still saw strong defensive stands from them. So if it's clear that they're going after making a specific group strong, so maybe the other groups that are a little bit weaker don't have to work as hard, that seems like the way to go. Next question comes in from Michael Christopher. He says, a lot of people mock ETN to the Jets because he's a perfect fit for the scheme. If he's there at 34, how mad would you be if the Jets picked him? Is he that special of a talent playmaker to ignore premium positions in your mind? Name two or three players you would like the Jets to pick at 23 and or 34. So let's start with the first part of this. I wouldn't be fuming mad because ETN is a really good player and he's dynamic. And if you're getting him at 34, that means you get him for four cheap seasons and then you could just move on to the next guy. That's always my philosophy, by the way, when you're getting a running back. I'm drafting him for the four years or even the fifth year if he's in the first round and you're getting that fifth year option. And then I'm planning to move on from him. I think you get into trouble in most cases when you extend that running back for big money. Not always. There's the exceptions like Adrian Peterson, but... Most running backs, once they're past their first four or five years, they're going to have a steep decline. So I wouldn't love it because I think there's better value at other positions, but I could understand it because he'd be a great weapon for Zach Wilson or Justin Fields or Trey Lance or Mac Jones or whoever it is they pick a quarterback. Obviously, we would say that Wilson is the front runner right now, but whoever the quarterback is, you want to help him out. So if they pick somebody that could be a dynamic weapon for him, as I said, wouldn't be my first choice but I wouldn't be ready to put my fist through the wall or anything like that. As far as two or three players, I'd love to see the Jets get at 23 and or 34. This is hard because there are certain players that at one point I thought might be in play at those picks, and now I'm thinking they probably won't. JC Horn, I'm so sad about it. I was going to say, yeah, we're going to get to him later. I saw another question that asked about him, and I'm not happy about that because at one point I thought for sure he'd be there at number 23, and Kayla and I are co-presidents of the J.C. Horn Fan Club. In fact, you can join right now. It's jchornfanclub.com. You can make your checks out to both of us personally. But it looks like now, good chance, he's not going to make it. However, Caleb Farley might make it, whereas we thought for sure there was no way he was going to. I have no idea what the medical is like with him. Dr. Stoller says that there's a 95% chance he'll make a full recovery. The way I look at it is if he drops to 23 or 34, he would be on my list. Elijah Vera Tucker, I don't think he's going to fall to 23, but if he does, 
That's a possibility. At number 34, I would be looking at somebody like Creed Humphrey, absolutely. And no question about it, dynamic weapon who would fit perfectly in this offense, Kadarius Toney, and as an added bonus, Clayton Smarslock would be very happy with that as well. So, Kayla, what do you think? Would you be upset with Etienne at number 34? And who are a couple of players other than J.C. Horn, who we don't think is going to make it to 23 now, that you think would be good at 23 and or 34? Yeah, so with ETN, I mean, I prefer not to cheer for a Clemson Tiger, but I'm supposed to, I know I'm supposed <laughs> to get over that once they're in the NFL. I'm still working on it. Um, I think that he's an incredible talent, but like you said, I think that it's, I feel bad for the running backs entering the draft because you have to figure like teams are all thinking like that because that's just kind of what's been proven. You Like I think back to Todd Gurley and it's like, oh, this guy could be the next like generational running back. And it's like, not really, but you do see, I think that if they're trying to build up their offense, taking running back wouldn't be the worst thing in the world in that spot simply because um, I think that you look at a team like the Vikings and like even when they struggle, like Dalvin Cook is running for 100 yards every game. So it's if you get the right guy, like it's something so reliable that can always gain you yards and touchdowns, which obviously the Jets have been missing out on the last couple seasons. Um, I do think, though, that over ETN, I would probably prefer Najee Harris. And maybe it's because I'm also a fan of him as a person, but I like his game as well. And if he was in that spot, I'd like to take him. Um, and then as for other players, I mean, I think I said this last time I came on with you. I mean, I want a first round cornerback. I know it's not going to be a two. That would be ridiculous. But I want to draft a corner in the first round. So, like, I'm on board with the Caleb Farley idea. I like Sertan. Obviously, like like we said, J.C. Horn's our top pick, but that's probably not going to happen. So I would really like to see them take that first round corner. I just feel like it's been a little uh, neglected for too long. And um, like I like guys that we have in the cornerback room, but it's just it's not someone that I am confident can go guard number one receiver. And like I like Bless Austin. I like Bryce Hall. I think they have huge potential. But I don't think that potential is going to come to its like full um, throttle this season. So I want to see a corner that can go out there and start. Um, and I think that, I mean, 34, I mean, I, I would like to beef up the O-line too. I feel like half my tweets during the season are always about like, is anyone going to block? So, um, <laughs> and I wasn't overly impressed with what I saw last year. I mean, Becton was exciting and he was new and like, that was great. But every time he went down, it's like, and he was injured several times last season. It's just a matter of like holding your breath and like hoping that whoever's playing at quarterback isn't flat on their back. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Next question comes in from RB. He says, do you believe Joe Douglas's tenure will be defined with how he handles the free agency and NFL drafts of 2021 and 2022? Do you believe that if the Jets don't make the playoffs by the end of 2022, then he could be on the hot seat with ownership? Yes, he will definitely be on the hot seat with ownership if they don't make the playoffs by the end of 2022. And yeah, I think 2021 and 2022 are going to define what happens with him and where the Jets go in the future as well. Because if he does well in these drafts and if his free agent signings pan out, or at least if a good amount of the free agent signings pan out and he does reasonably well in the draft... The Jets should be on an upward trajectory, and they should absolutely be in the playoff hunt in 2022. If they're not in the playoff hunt by 2022, then that means that Joe Douglas probably messed up a bunch, and he is very much going to be on the hot seat and will deserve to be. So he's got 21 picks in the next two years of drafts, 
and he's got a whole bunch of them in the premium rounds. Got to make them count. If your strategy is to build through the draft, which is what it appears to be, then you've got to be good at building through the draft. So yes to both of your questions, essentially. Kayla, what do you think? Is Joe Douglas going to be defined by what happened in 2021 and 2022 in free agency in the draft? And if the team isn't in the playoff hunt or doesn't make the playoffs at the end of 2022, is he going to be on the hot seat? Yeah, I mean, I think that it all comes back to the fact that when Joe Douglas accepted this job with the Jets, it was a bad job for him to accept. That might make some people mad, but like, that's the reality of the situation. Like, he didn't have a hand in like the coaching situation, and he agreed to take this GM job probably to advance his career and got stuck with a disaster. And he inherited that. I mean, maybe he missed on some picks, yeah, but like, I just don't think that anyone was playing their best football under Adam Gase. I just don't think that was the case. And I think maybe there's players that could have been better in the right spot. And it's pretty clear that Gase didn't know how to use a lot of the players. So I think that Joe Douglas, it reflected poorly on him for, I don't want to say no fault of his own, because obviously talent can shine through in a bad system. But I do think that a lot of the negativity associated with Gase kind of rubbed off on him and that that sucks. So I do think that this is going to define him. And I'm not going to say that it shouldn't, because at this point it should. This is the career path he chose to take. This is what he picked. He thought he could turn it around. So um, I do think that he's got a hit on the quarterback that they're pretty clearly taking. Um, and yeah, I mean, he's, his draft picks have to pan out. And I think we saw like flashes of that. And I think the harder thing for him has been the free agent signings panning out. And obviously this offseason, we didn't see that a lot of the free agents that Jets fans wanted sign with the Jets. But like I've said before, I mean, you can't expect guys to be rushing to go to a team that won two games. It's just it's not realistic. So Joe Douglas can sweeten the pot all he wants, but people have to want to come play here. And when you're with a team that started as low as the Jets did, it's a matter of you have to build through the draft. You have to get people there like who have to come <laughs> it's really the reality of the situation so um but i think that with robert sala as the head coach and like a lot of clear public support for him from former players like it seems like this is a much faster track or a much better track to getting guys in the door and if the jets can show some like significant improvement and like promise this season i think that we have a very different offseason next year Next question comes in from Harry Wismer's ghost. He says, what do you think of Teddy Bridgewater as the backup in 2021? Could his contract issue be worked out strictly as a player? How would you feel about him as a backup? Could there be some other obscure but reasonably talented backups that we are overlooking? I'd love to see Teddy Bridgewater here as a backup, but unfortunately, I don't think that they're going to be able to make it work financially. First of all, somebody will probably trade for him and rework the deal. I don't see Douglas doing that. If they were going to do that, they probably would have included him in the Darnold deal. And also, even if Bridgewater is willing to take a big cut and defer some of that money to next year, that's still going to be $10 million or more. I just don't see the Jets being willing to pay that for a backup. Alex Smith is an interesting one. He's nothing close to what he used to be, 36 years old, had all those injuries, wasn't all that good in Washington when he did play, but at least he's not going to embarrass you if he has to get into the game. Brian Hoyer came in here for a visit, so maybe he'll be an option. Not a huge fan of his, but you just need somebody with experience. And Nick Mullins is an interesting one. He's not super experienced, but he's got a couple of years in the league under his belt, knows the offense, 
played with LaFleur in San Francisco, and he's still young, so I wouldn't mind that either. Those are the names, though, that I think you're looking at, guys like Hoyer, Alex Smith, Nick Mullins. I just don't think Teddy Bridgewater is going to be an option because of the finances, although if they can make it work, I'd love to have him back here. Yeah, I mean, not that this is our our goal, but I personally think that the Panthers should restructure Teddy Bridgewater and keep him there, make them compete, but that's a whole other story. But um, I do think that um, the idea of having Alex Smith, I like it from a mentorship standpoint, but I don't know about you, but I was so uncomfortable every time I saw him on the field. Like, I was just afraid that his leg was going to snap in half. He just, like, didn't look mobile at all to me. I was just, like extremely uncomfortable and did not want to watch so knowing the uh the Jets luck I I mean we've seen the backup quarterback on the field a lot in recent years I don't want to watch that to be totally honest I just don't I don't want to see it so um I mean he wouldn't be my top choice I think he'd be like a great last minute ad if he's got nowhere and we've got no other options um Nick Mullins as a scheme fit cool that's fine I mean I'm like, this is on the the back of like hoping that they don't really have to play. Um, I, I don't see anything like particularly like secure or stable about him besides the fact that he already knows the offense. Um, and then I guess Brian Hoyer would probably be my top choice. I was pretty excited when I saw that one, not because of like some extreme skill level, but I mean, I know we don't like the Patriots, but they're definitely um, focused and dedicated and they're disciplined. And I think that that goes hand in hand with the solid Douglas kind of vibe of the team that they seem to be building. So I think maybe he could slide in. And of course he's played around greats. So, I mean, backing Tom Brady multiple times in his career and I mean, playing under Belichick, like that's, that's all valuable experience that you can't just overlook, I guess. Next question comes in from M-O-A-M. He says, would you package the second rounder that the Jets just got from Carolina in 2022 to move up from 23 to take a corner or a receiver if somebody falls like perhaps Devontae Smith, J.C. Horn, or Jalen Waddell? I know this team needs offensive linemen, but you can address that at 34. Yeah, I absolutely would move up for J.C. Horn if I could. We'll see where he falls. If he ends up going in the top 12, which is what it sounds like is going to happen, and you're probably not going to get a crack at him. But if he slips a little bit and he's there in the late teens, and I think Kayla will agree with me on this, it's a move that I would 100% make. I think J.C. Horn is the kind of guy that can be your number one lockdown corner for a decade. What I love about Horn is that he's a perfect blend of everything. Excellent instincts, size, physicality, speed, He can do everything. He can tackle. He can cover. It was a joy to watch he and Kyle Pitts go toe-to-toe when Florida played South Carolina, and those are two of my favorite players in this draft. So, yeah, I'd move up for Horn. I don't know that I would move up for Smith or Waddle. I wouldn't hate it if they did it, but I just think there's so many really talented receivers that you can get one at 23, 34, or even later. We saw this last year, too. There were just so many good receivers. It's really difficult to justify moving up unless there's a guy that you think is just special. And if you think that's the case with Waddle or Smith, I wouldn't hate it. But I probably would be more inclined to move up for an offensive lineman or for a corner. And if Horn was there late teens, yeah, no question, I would make the move and go get him. Yeah, I think you you know where I stand on Horn. <laughs> I'll move up for him. Honestly, that's maybe one of my favorite like hypothetical trade packages I've heard is moving up for a corner like that with next year's second round pick. 
Um, I think that, I mean, the thing I love about Horn too is the physicality. I mean, I watched him play in person a lot. I watched him play on TV a lot. I just, I think the dude is just unbelievable. Um, and the size, just sitting on the sideline looking at him, it's it's crazy. Uh, I think he's going to be great in the NFL. Um, as for trading up for a wide receiver, I think I'm kind of in the same boat as you. Um, it doesn't really do it for me. I mean, Jamar Chase is my favorite in this draft, and he'll be gone by then. But I think also, like, the idea of trading up for Horn, like, sounds like, oh, like, maybe we could do that. Who knows? But, like, the reality of it is, is, like, there's plenty of guys in the draft every year that are, are labeled like top 10 talent, first round talent, but it's like, there's only so many picks and these teams are picking based on their needs. So you can see a guy and be like, Oh, well he's worthy of top 15. And it's like, yeah, okay. But if the, if they want Devonte Smith and Jalen Waddle over JC Horn, like that's just how it's going to go. So I think like, I try not to get too caught up in like the, Oh, well they can, they could go here and it's like, okay, maybe, but we'll have to see um, how it actually shakes out based on need. That's going to wrap up part one of the mailbag. We'll be back with part two tomorrow. In the meantime, follow Kayla on Twitter at KP underscore on underscore TV and check out all three episodes of Pace's Playbook. They're available right now on the Play Like a Jet YouTube channel. And make sure you're checking out everything we're doing over at playlikeajet.com. Tons of draft content, mock drafts from Clayton Smarslock. Luke Grant's got some great stuff up there as well. It's all available at playlikeajet.com. And if you haven't given us a five-star review on iTunes yet, if you could go ahead and do that for us, really appreciate it. Easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. Doesn't take you much time, doesn't cost you any money, but it goes a long way to help us out. So if you could go ahead and do that for us, we'd be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Play Like a Jet Digital and playlikeajet.com. 